0: Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome to the show someone that I've been a fan of for years and years and have truly enjoyed her book, The Sales Development Playbook, and and probably everything her company, The Bridge Group, produces. My guest today is Trish Bertuzzi, the CEO and founder of The Bridge Group. Welcome, Trish.
1: Thanks for having me, Jeremy.
0: Thanks. It's uh, such a good opportunity, as always, to speak with you and to share some of your wisdom today with our listeners I, I always start with uh, a couple of questions that I like to get a baseline on on everyone from. The first question I love to ask is, as you reflect on all the sales books you've read over the years, which one is your favorite and why?
1: You know what a hard question that is, right? It's so, so hard. But upon reflection, and I have been thinking about this lately, I think the sales book that had the most enduring impact would have been Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm.
0: Wonderful book, yeah. People may not be familiar with it. What was it that was so special about that for you?
1: The reason it was so special to me is because it articulated in a way I had never heard before, a plan for growing a business. You know, we all have these great ideas for our businesses, right? And I talk to people all the time who call me and they're like, hey, I'm in it with a startup and here's what we do. Jeffrey Moore had a way of articulating Are you a vitamin or are you an aspirin? That's my interpretation of what he said. Like, if you're a vitamin, you got to have a, which is a nice to have, but not Mm -hmm. everybody's going to buy you. You have one strategy. If you're an aspirin and you're solving a pain, you have another strategy. And for those aspirin people, he articulated a way to go to market that was very simplistic pick a niche, establish your beachhead. Cross the chasm and expand. Because we get so excited when we start our businesses. We're like, oh, I'm a horizontal play. I can sell to anyone. No, you can't. Those who focus are those who win. And Jeffrey Moore owns articulating that in a way that was better than anything I've ever read since.
0: Yeah. And so many people who've come after him have cloned their own versions of that. And that book and also his follow on book, I think it was called Inside the Tornado. Yeah. Just absolutely changed my perspective on understanding that whole concept about finding the niche. And I think also just about basically service and price frontier that you pick a place on that on that efficient frontier and you're going to operate on that place, but that signals what your brand is, right? And some things are no frills or low frills and some things are high service. And it's not that you can't be both, but you can't be the ultimate lowest cost and the ultimate best service. Those things don't go together. The second question I like to ask folks, which kind of is to wind the clock back to a story about the first thing that you ever remember selling.
1: The first thing I ever remember selling was me, and I didn't even know I was selling it, but I did know when I had to close it. So a million years ago, I was a waitress at a place here in Massachusetts called Ken's Steakhouse. It was back in the days of the three martini lunch for executives. And every day, the CEO, VP of sales, and CFO for a local tech company would come into Ken's and they would sit in my station and I would wait on them every day. And one day, the CEO said to me, Trish, you are rude, obnoxious, arrogant, and hungry, and you should be in sales. (laughs) And I said, give me a job. And he laughed, but he didn't laugh for long because I went at him, the CFO, and the VP of sales every day for the next three days telling them why they should take a risk on an unknown entity to help them sell their technology, and they did. And that launched my career in sales.
0: They said you're, you're what was it, obnoxious, arrogant, and hungry?
1: Yeah, rude. Rude. Obnoxious, so, arrogant, and hungry.
0: So – Does that, I just want to be careful with that, right? Is like if you're hiring people, is that the profile that you look for? Is hungry, yes, but what about the rude, arrogant, and obnoxious side?
1: Well, you have to think about it this way. So, first of all, they weren't interviewing me, they had one view of my personality. And anyone who's ever met me knows I am extremely direct, I'm extremely aggressive, you know, I don't suffer fools gladly. So, Their interpretation of me was, he couched it in those terms, which by the way, I was flattered. (laughs) You know what I mean? I didn't view any of those in the negative. Additionally, we're talking a long time ago, there were fewer women that had my communication style. Would they have used those same adjectives if I was a man? I'm going to say no, but whatever it was. I took it as a positive, I saw an opportunity, I went for it, it launched my career, he could have called me a whatever he wanted, and I would have been great, you're still going to give me that job.
0: Wow. I guess deeper on hiring, so when you go to hire people now, what are the characteristics that you actually look for in salespeople? Do you look for that aggressive confidence as one of your hallmarks of who to hire or not?
1: Well, full disclosure, Jeremy, I am not allowed to hire people. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My team does all the hiring for our clients. I think one of the most important things any leader has to be is self-aware. And I am incredibly self-aware that I am not someone who should be responsible for hiring because I make split decisions. I either like you or I don't. Some interviews last 40 seconds, some last five minutes. That is not a good thing. It is on my cons list for leadership skills of Trish Bertuzzi.
0: Well, that's great. That obviously something the hallmark of great leaders is to surround themselves with people who can make up for where their gaps are. So I presume you found some folks who are exceptional at hiring talented people.
1: I have some folks that I think are amazing at the way they approach the hiring process.
0: Well, I know we could certainly talk a lot about hiring, but I want to transition over to something that's obviously near and dear to your heart and to my heart, which is sales engagement. And I'll, I'll preface this by saying one of the things that has made me a Trish Bertuzzi and Bridge Group fanboy for so many years is that you guys take a data-driven approach to pretty much everything you do. So I just wanted to thank you for that and you know, rather than just kind of espousing opinions all over the place.
1: Yes, we take a very data-driven approach. I think one of the ways we differ from some others who also publish data is we get very specific. So if we publish a survey, not everyone on the face of the planet can take the survey or they can take it, but then their data is eliminated. We're understanding who has the information we need to collect and only allowing those people to participate has been the rock bed of what we've done, and I think it's served us well.
0: Yeah, it, it really shows. I know you as the CEO of a company and a highly influential one probably get a ton of emails that are sent your way, prospecting emails sent your way. What engages you when you receive an email?
1: What engages me is someone who understands the business I'm in. They either talk about what it's like to be a services business. You know, I know you're in a services business. Here's how we help other management consultants or... They reference something that they've seen, whether they agree with me or disagree with me, or they've read my book, or anything that shows that they have invested a moment to understand how what they're offering could potentially integrate with my business. Like When I get emails that are trying to sell me ERP systems, and they're quoting customers like you in their American Express, (laughs) I'm like, are you kidding me, right? That just makes me so crazy. So to engage with me, you need to know me. And I will be honest with you. I would say I get two of those a month.
0: Hmm. Where they really took the time to show you that they knew you.
1: Had any idea whatsoever what I do. Interesting. And Jeremy, you know what freaks me out? My phone number is everywhere. Everywhere. My phone never rings. Never. Never
0: it's crazy so it's just the lazy add your pull your name off a list add it to their standard email and fire away
1: that's what they've been taught
0: yeah i see a great variety unlike you i don't i, I don't even really have a phone number and your sales engagement study that you guys did recently talks about this mm. i actually have one phone number that i use to test as a secret shopper mm-hmm. to test inbound response I just check it for that basically. And I guess i become all email, which is so weird for me from the folks that you run across. Is that now more the norm these days?
1: 44% of all decision makers that we surveyed in that ultimate sales engagement guide don't have a desk phone. It's not that they don't have a phone. They don't have a desk phone.
0: They do have a mobile phone. and They have voicemail, presumably, right?
1: Correct. But, you know, 44% don't, but 56% still do. And then there's always mobile. Voice communications, like we're losing the ability to communicate human to human, and it's breaking my heart. I actually responded to an email the other day, and I said, this is not a very good email because of (laughs) this reason. And I have to ask, are you a bot? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't a bot, but they were trying different things. Uh, and I'm like, well, it's not working, and you might want to...
0: go, Yeah, go back to something more personalized and, and direct. Exactly. I know you segmented your in your study by age group. You know, I'm 45, so I'm in that 35 to 55-year-old range that behaves a little differently, right? And I know you found, for example, that taking mobile phone calls the under 35s and the over 55s were much more likely to take those calls.
1: I know. It's so weird, right?
0: Yeah. What do you think it is about the Gen Xers that don't like getting sales calls on their mobile phone and the other ones, you know, if you're older or you're younger, you're okay with it.
1: All right. I'm totally making this up. This is straight up gut.
0: Conjecture. 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 Is fine.
1: Yeah. No context. Conjecture. <laughs> okay. Older, you're used to a phone. That's how humans communicated. It's always been phone younger. I mean, you're kind of still phone obsessed. The middle ground, once again, conjecture, no context. Okay. Who's the busiest people you know? People your age, big jobs, busy jobs, not necessarily big jobs, but busy jobs, work a ton of hours, commutes are usually hell, small children, Trying to get their work done, so when they go to work, they're in a work flow, and they don't want to be interrupted in that flow. And sometimes phone is interruptive.
0: Yeah, you just described everything, but the small children. You just descri- I got big children, but everything else you just described was definitely me. I think you're hitting on something also there with the if you're over 55, phone was your means of communicating. Because, you know, you spent a lot of your early part of your professional career pre-email. Yeah. And then if you're under 35, you basically were born with a phone, you know, attached to your hand within minutes. In the middle though, yeah, like the mobile phone wasn't a thing at the earliest part of, you know, my career. It was a, it was one of those, if you had a mobile phone, it was in a briefcase or one of those big clunky Motorola.
1: Oh my God. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: But that means that like my mode of communication has always been email, right? So maybe it makes me more email and and I have this – could probably sit in a therapist's office talking about my need to get to inbox zero <laughs> and how – and and that, that futile pursuit. Uh, I was also fascinated by a statistic that you had about how frequently people check their voicemail these days. Yeah, once a day. If I had a phone, I'd be checking it every time the red light was flashing.
1: But that's because you're – Trying to get to inbox zero, so you'd be trying yeah. to get to voicemail zero. Um, I think people do check their email once a day. It's it's probably in the biggest gap of their day, like while they're eating their lunch or the one time they're not in back to back meetings. But the stat itself isn't what's interesting. What's interesting is what we have to do about that, right? So if you're leaving voicemail, and you should be leaving voicemail because it gives you an opportunity to tell a little piece of your story, but that's a whole different topic of conversation. You don't want to sound like everyone else. So, hi, this is John Smith with Acme, bump, delete. Mm. Hi, this is Kathleen Glass with bump, delete. Like, you have to think of voicemail as real estate. And the beginning is Rodeo Drive. Don't waste that real estate saying your name and company name. Say something interesting. Say something to grab attention, arouse curiosity. There are fascinating statements you can make at the beginning of a voicemail that will make people just maybe sit back for a second and say, okay, give it a go.
0: What's an example of that? Is it a question? Is it a provocative statement? Like if you had one of your own people calling you, would they start like, hey, Trish, did you know some factoid or how would you start it?
1: So, hey, Jeremy, I was just looking at SDR job descriptions on your website, and I noticed that you have your sales development team calling back into your customers and going after new logos. I have research that shows that role specialization can increase productivity by 22%. I'd love to talk to you about it.
0: Yeah, brilliant. So it's not just in the email, it's also in the phone call that you show them that you know them.
1: I'm not a big fan of the double tap. You know what the double tap is? Phone phone and email on the same day, yeah. It's a personal thing. I'm like, you bugged me once, now you bugged me twice. If it's good, maybe, but if it's bad, you know, you just bugged me twice. But you can repurpose emails and voicemails and voicemails and emails. Like if you find that little series of nuggets that you want to use for that particular buyer, you can repurpose them. It's not, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Repackage, repurpose, reuse.
0: Hmm. By the way, data science-wise, I guess like it or not, it's like law of large numbers, which is for every Trish, you know, there's there's five people who like it, or at least who respond to it. The double tap is one of the things that we recommend people do in their cadences, especially on on day one. That most of the winning cadences that we see have that signature. But we advise people, and I'd love to hear your reaction to this, is we say, you know, do your whatever it is. Let's say you you know you send your email. Uh, actually, we recommend call first, so um, you can do your call, you can send your email, but the the, the call just ask people to respond to the email because we think it's less effort to respond to an email than it is to call back. Does that make sense?
1: So here's the thing, though. You can do that. You can double tap that way, or what I do is say you can respond to this message via email, at or call, or text. Boom. I gave them three different ways. In one voicemail message.
0: I know that's one of your big takeaways in, you know, of that study of the sales engagement survey that you should basically engage professionals how they want to be engaged.
1: And you almost don't know until they respond to something. But one of the things that I think is a critical success factor, and you're making me think about my own sales process. I'm taking mad notes for myself over (laughs) here, by the way. So this is awesome. Uh, Cool, cool. Is at the end, so they do respond. You should say, what's your communication vehicle of choice? Email, phone, text? How do you want me to communicate with you? Give them what they want.
0: I think your strategy of, hey, give them, you know, multiple mechanisms to reply as as they would like, and then that will tell you, I think that's that's quite useful. I'm with you. Like, let's say you find out that whatever, they text you back, which would be magical, right? That's, that's the holy grail of response, probably. But I think at scale... It's very difficult to only engage a person via that one channel.
1: I get where you're going, but when you think about it, how many people we've already had a conversation with them, we're continuing the conversation, how many do you have to manage at once? 30 at the most?
0: Yeah, it's not too many. I guess if salespeople are compliant in their CRM and actually indicate that person's preferred communication channel. Yeah. Then, yeah, then that's not so difficult. And and you're right. You'll know for any individual prospect or customer how they actually want to be be contacted.
1: I have a client who will not talk to me. Now, he's a client. All right. We're past the, (laughs) the buying stage. I'll leave him a voicemail message, and then I will get a series of texts, each a mini chapter from Gone with the Wind. He has long commutes, and that's what he does. He just sits there with his two thumbs going a buck a minute, tells me everything I need to know, and too bad for me, good for him.
0: Yeah, according to your report, he's a bit of an anomaly because I think when you looked at different personas, right, the executive persona, the sales persona, marketing and operations, I don't recall there being anybody who, you know, responded positively or very positively towards texting.
1: Salespeople tend to be the most positive, a buyer type of sales, which makes sense. We're mobile warriors, right? Other than that, it was very buyer specific.
0: One thing someone said to me that I'd love to know if it resonates for you is in initial engagement, text still feels relatively invasive. I agree. But once you're actually in an op and you're developing a relationship and you have a degree of trust with them, then text is quite welcome.
1: 100% agree.
0: Someone mentioned to me the other day connecting via Slack to their prospects and using that as a mechanism of communication. I thought that was brilliant.
1: I'd have to think about how I feel about that. <laughs> I have enough going on without Slack alerts going off in my face. So, yeah, I'd have to think yeah. about that.
0: I guess if you're deep into an op, though, right? Like you're, oh, you're-
1: totally different. Totally different. Once you're engaged with someone, once again, I'll engage with anyone how I'll carry your pigeon. I don't care. Let's let's just move this ball forward.
0: I think for customer success too, right? Getting their permission to be in their Slack notifications, right? For on the customer success side is incredibly powerful. You just definitely have to be you can't just do it blindly, right? You have to go in ready to be as responsive to them as they are to you, right? Correct. And they're probably going to hit you with a lot more than you you hit them with.
1: You got to think about instant access and how am I going to do that and and make sure they're a happy customer.
0: We've talked a bit about email, we've talked a bit about mobile, we've talked a bit about texting. Obviously all the channels, you know, the multi-channel approach is, is often the most effective. One we haven't talked about yet is is LinkedIn. How have you seen that evolve over the, you know, over the course of time and how how receptive are people to different forms, right? Cuz now you've got connection requests, you've got in-mails. and now I I got one last week. I think it was the first time I got a A LinkedIn voicemail message.
1: Yep. LinkedIn from a sales perspective. I mean, I adore LinkedIn, right? I think it is one of the most valuable tools out there, but I think it's at a tipping point. And over the last several months, I've started to become incredibly annoyed with how many in mails I get Mm -hmm. and or I get a great connection request. Cause I, I connect with a lot of people on LinkedIn because I want to be part of this bigger community. But now what's starting to happen is I'll get a a fantastic LinkedIn customized request from someone. I'll accept it. And the next thing I know, they're spamming me with here's what Mm -hmm. I do. And they don't stop until I block them. Like that's a bummer.
0: Yeah, I I had one like that this morning where I accepted a a connection request, and then I immediately got a two-page long email. And and whenever I get those, I instantly disconnect with those people. I
1: know, and it's a bummer because it didn't used to be that way. But it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. I think the LinkedIn voicemails, you have to be a first-degree connection. Mm -hmm. So that makes it a bit more of a challenge early on in the process. But I think it's interesting. But once again, it depends on if your buyer is in the messaging section of their LinkedIn profile often enough. I, like you're obsessed with inbox, I'm obsessed with my messages in LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's my it's also my advice. Yeah. You mentioned in the study that LinkedIn was, I think, the second most preferred communication Custom. channel.
1: Not blanket LinkedIn. But people are very open because, once again, LinkedIn isn't interruptive. It doesn't Mm. come to you. You go to it, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm with you, especially if you turn your notifications off. Exactly.
1: So I think people are very comfortable with being able to control who, when, how, and why people are communicating with them on LinkedIn. And it's easy enough to see what's custom, what's not. You know, if it gets flagged as an in-mail, you know, it's already got maybe – A flag that says I'm potentially spammy, but yeah, Hmm. LinkedIn is definitely broadly accepted. So
0: actually, last thing I'd like to focus on is the types of ways that people like to learn. You know, you had some good evolving information in the sense that I think those things are changing over time.
1: Yeah. How do they want to consume content?
0: Yeah. And and even some interesting demographics by age about how different people want to consume content. So can you share a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So what's interesting, so we asked people, how do you want to consume content? And the categories were white papers, eBooks, forums, one-to-one video. That's the only video we talked about. Webinars and review sites. And we kind of broke it out under 35 and over 35. So when it's learning experiences, under 35 likes review sites and over 35 likes white papers how do you think about that? Right? Well, if I'm under 35, I need my peer network to help me make this decision is the way I look at it. And over 35, I, maybe I just want the data. So I thought that was sort of interesting was review sites came in, it was 29% under 35, and it was 18% for over 35
0: Interesting that there's maybe more trust, weirdly, I suppose, for the white papers, because that's usually a vendor-produced it is. piece of content, right, as opposed to the review site. Yep. I'm constantly reading something, and uh, right now I'm reading a book called The Transparency Sale. I thought I'd heard of every sales book, but I had not heard of this one. And Todd Capone is the author. He talks about the review site thing you just mentioned. He he talks about the fact that you want to position your product, your service, your platform, whatever word you want to use, as being not a 5.0, but he's very specific with the range, a 4.2 to a 4.5, that basically you want to be transparent in what your product cannot do, and maybe even what your competitor can do better than you that you don't intend to do early in the sale. What do you think about that?
1: Well, I think it depends on who is delivering that information. I wouldn't want an SDR kind of trying to lay that out for somebody, right? Right. And I wouldn't even want 80% of the AEs I know trying to lay that out for somebody, because I think it has to be handled extremely appropriately and at the exact right time in the sales process. So that was my first reaction.
0: So certainly a sales engineer, or solutions consultant, whatever you call them, that might be the right person to do that.
1: Absolutely. I think we need to stop competing with each other and start just trying to do what's right for the customer based on what we can do for them. Like there are a lot of products. There are a lot of services businesses where we're not that different from each other, right? Focus on what the differences are. And sometimes the important differences are chemistry, relationship, culture, those things, as opposed to, you know, we always say don't negative sell. I think when people ask you a direct question, they appreciate a direct answer, whether it, puts you one leg up or maybe one rung down, it doesn't matter. They appreciate the honesty. I think that's what I'm trying to articulate.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. And I I mean, I do think people buy from people that they believe, right? The products and services are so similar. We're so hyper-saturated in so many categories. They buy from people that they trust will A, add value to them, and B, that they like and get along with and probably that order, right? Like Whether you like someone or not, if you don't think it's going to add value, you're not going to buy. Conversely, if you think it's going to add tremendous value, the deciding factor will then probably be likability. I have heard people talk about the fact that likability is not important. You, you do—it sounds like you do think that that is important.
1: Well, likability—if it means that someone trusts that I'm not going to be disingenuous with them, I don't care if they want to go hang out with me, but I want them to know that I'm not going to lie to them.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting, you know, in the progression of our careers that the business lunch at least in New York, doesn't really seem to be a thing anymore. I mean, I, I have lunches with people, but it's usually at a salad place, you know, where we just pre-ordered and pick up and sit down at an informal yeah. informal table. Yeah. I did want to circle back around to something you just said about like the competition, because I know Chris Orlob over at Gong, who's uh, brilliant and I'm a big fan of, released a study where they found, again, correlation, not causation, but that deals that would go on – to be one were ones where people brought up the competition directly early in the sales process, like in the first or second call. Again, that's a correlation, not a, not a causation. But that would seem, and I think a lot of people have read that research and, and feel like they should go on the attack early on.
1: Well, he said, bring up. So again, to me, it would be, are you looking at other providers that are similar to us? To me, that's bringing it up, not, hey, by the way, you don't want to talk to them. And if you are, here's all the bad things I'm going to tell you about them. So I think once again, context, context, context.
0: Yeah, that, that's fair. I think that's a pretty good way to end is um, in all things, right? Everything that we've talked about in engaging people, in hiring, in phone conversations, all of these things going against the competition context is what matters. Totally. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being a guest. Again, our guest today was Trish Bertuzzi, author of The Amazing Sales Development Playbook. Go out and get that. I'm sure Amazon or whatever your favorite bookseller is. And she's also the CEO at Bridge Group where they produce tremendous data-driven content. Thanks for being on today, Trish.
1: My pleasure. I love talking to you.
0: Once again, I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Laura Hall is our executive producer. Our artwork is by Greg Klingschern. This episode was edited by Peter Lopinto. Subscribe to us on your favorite app to learn more immediately actionable best practices from our awesome guests. Thank you for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.